Bless his holy name. There is no one like the Lord. No one above him, no one beside him. For he is the Lord all by himself. Amen. Bless his holy name. We ask that you would turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. That's the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. And if you found a sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, Jesus. Jesus. And we ask that you would stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. Acts 19, 11 through 20. And the word of God says this. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched his skin carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver so that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, but most importantly, the understanding and the living of his holy word. You may be seated. This passage that we're dealing with this morning deals with the timeless question about calling on the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that he is Lord. So I ask this morning, is there power in the name of Jesus? 
The answer is yes, absolutely. But all the power that's attributed to the name of Jesus originates in the person of Jesus. When we believe in Jesus' name, we are saying that we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the risen Christ on the cross, and we believe that he hears us when we pray. 1 John 5.13 says, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, we need to recognize that Jesus is not a magical word, but it is a meaningful word. There's nothing special about the arrangements of the letters. If Jesus had not been God in the flesh, if Jesus had not lived a perfect life, if Jesus hadn't died for the sins of all who would ever believe, if Jesus never rose from the dead, we wouldn't even be talking about his name. But because he did all that and more, all power that we as Christians can access comes through the name of Jesus and through our true faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. There's power in the name of Jesus if we belong to Jesus because there's power in Jesus himself. Now, just simply calling out his name, one cannot expect some special power, some altered outcome, some better standing with God. But when we recognize that the name of Jesus is precious, that it's brimming with meaning, Matthew one twenty one tells us, and you shall call his name Jesus, the angel told Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. When we recognize that Jesus is much more than we can ever imagine, when we recognize that Jesus is more than just a great teacher, he's more than some enlightened prophet, he's more than some worker of miracles, he's more than some source of the meaning of life, he's more than some self-help guru, He's more than some extinct builder. He's more than some political liberator. He's more than a caring friend, more than a transformer of cultures, more than a purpose to the purpose driven. He is the Savior and our God. All the acts that he shows us in healing, protecting, justifying, and redeeming all come through the power of God that resides in the person of Christ. So I ask you, how has our omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator God the God of the whole universe, how has he chosen to wield his power in this world? He has chosen to wield his power in this world through his son, Jesus Christ, and his name. Jesus, born in humble circumstances, obeyed with all the power of a king. He laid down his life for sinners. He exercised the authority to raise it up again. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down because I can pick it up again. So when we call on his name in faith, we receive forgiveness of sins and salvation for all eternity. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That is 
resurrection power of the Savior. He alone is the force behind his own name. It is in Jesus' name that God instructs us to pray. John 16, 23 through 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be made full. As believers, we are invited to pray in the name of Jesus with what? With expectation that God hears our prayers endorsed by Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name means praying in the authority of Jesus, asking God the Father to act upon our prayers because we come to him by faith in the name of his only son. Praying in Jesus' name demonstrates our faith in God's power to act when we believe. Praying in Jesus' name is more than some grouping of words together, but is a representation of our faith in who Jesus actually is. It is Jesus Christ that Colossians 2.19 says, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It is in Jesus Christ that Hebrews 1 and 3 says, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. But listen to me. Where there is no faith, where there is no relationship, where there is no submission in his lordship, the name of Jesus is nothing but a phrase. Devoid of power. We are wise to guard ourselves from the temptation to misuse the name of Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at a story in our Bibles that tells us this intriguing story about a group of seven Jews in Ephesus who attempted to cast out demons using the name of Jesus. Now, we need to keep in mind, these men did not know Jesus. These men were not believers, and these men did not have any faith. But instead, they sought the admiration of others. They sought the applause of others. They sought the attention of others. They sought an opportunity to make a name for themselves instead of lifting up the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that we are saved from our sins. As his servants, we are able to gather and we are given power from the mighty creator himself. In the name of Jesus, it is believers that have the authority to serve, to work, and to pray in his name. And when we do so, believing in Jesus' saving power, it will give us a desire to do God's will. Jesus, with the authority of the Father, exercised power to save sinners. And his name is the only name that we can call on for salvation. Now, we're going to see here this morning in this passage, Paul is going to teach us three things. He's going to teach us that when we call on the name of Jesus, it brings recovery to the sick. When we call on the name of Jesus, it brings rebuke to the unsaved. When we call on the name of Jesus, it brings repentance to the saved. 
When we call on the name of Jesus, we are able to participate in his power and we find out what it says in Proverbs 18 and 10, that the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. But like many truths in the Bible, we can attempt to misuse and thwart what is good for our gain. But our God cannot be deceived. We only encounter God's holy power when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father, teach us in the time that we have together this morning that there is power when we call on your name. Teach us that your son Jesus Christ has all authority in our lives. And if we will surrender to him, he will place his hand upon us and lead us through our path. Even if our path has trials and tribulations, we can depend on him for deliverance. Now bless us and give us great understanding this morning. And let us bring us to a place, O oh Lord, of total brokenness. Because it's only in total brokenness that we will seek a savior and that we will recognize that we have an utter dependence upon the work, the finished work of your son, Christ Jesus. And then we will gladly call on his name. It is in the precious name of your son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said amen. amen. The mighty works, <clears throat> the mighty works that God is accomplishing through Paul here in Ephesus were truly extraordinary. And they really parallel when you look through the entire book of Acts with what Jesus has done and what we also see in Peter. But here we see Paul's preaching about the kingdom of God, and he's further illustrating the way God's power is working through his particular ministry. We see that calling on the name of Jesus brought recovery to the sick, so much that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that had touched them when they were taken to those who were ill, their illnesses were cured, and those who had evil spirits, the evil spirits came out of them. Now the word translated here, handkerchiefs and aprons, are most likely the things that Paul worked with with his hands when he was a tent maker, items that had made contact with his skin. And because there was a, a belief, a widespread ancient belief that the bodies of particular people, whatever touched them, had healing powers. This is parallel to Jesus' ministry in Luke 6, 17 through 19. And he, personal pronoun, refers to Jesus. And he came down with them and stood at a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. He came to hear and to be healed of diseases. And whose 
And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to what? Touch him. For power came out from him and healed them. We see the same thing. Look at Matthew. Matthew 9, 18 through 22. And again, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had... Now look at this, stop. He's going to deal with the first healing. This healing is the by the way healing. Okay? And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. Robert Tanhill tells us that healing through the touching Jesus is now being extended to Paul with the understanding that the source of Paul's power comes from Jesus and not from Paul himself. That even when we see it early in Acts through Peter, and we see it now through Paul, we must recognize that that power was temporarily residing in a servant, but the power eternally resides in the Savior. And of course, this was important in Ephesus because Ephesus was a city that was driven by the magical arts. God constantly and continuously healed people in this way. He graciously accommodated human beliefs and human expectations to encourage them that they would draw near and discover what his messengers were proclaiming to them. Now, Paul was such a messenger. He didn't promote himself as some miracle worker, as did Simon Magus, or the itinerant uh, exorcist, Jewish exorcist that we'll see later, he was humble. He understood that it was God who gives grace to the humble and God who despised the proud. He was not trying to manipulate people. He was not trying to capture their attention or win disciples. He was just trying to do God's will. And God's will in Paul's ministry was to show people the difference between magic, and ministry. Between that, that was captivating and confusing and misleading. Even in our day, we must guard against a gospel that is another gospel which claims victory by what we say from our mouths. Those are no different than the magical tricks that they use to mislead people from the true gospel back in ancient times. Paul's apparent success at healing and exorcism prompted imitation. 
but this time this imitation is not the greatest form of flattery. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says this, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, uh, spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the high priest named Sceva were doing this. These seven Jews were so fascinated by Paul's power, by Paul's influence, they thought that the secret to his power and his influence was the name of Jesus. Not understanding that that was the source of the power because he belonged to Jesus. Paul knew Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. So their activity was fraudulent at best, and Paul's activity was based on what? Faith. You cannot invoke Jesus' name if you have not surrendered to Jesus. You cannot uh, imitate or emulate the efforts of those who know Jesus if you yourself have never accepted Jesus by faith alone. The implication here is that the name of Jesus is only efficacious to deliver and to heal and to be used uh, by those eternally who have given up their lives to Jesus. But these seven sons were pretenders. These people did not have an appropriate moral or spiritual integrity within them. These people were posers who were trying to engage the powers of evil through a ploy. Luke further emphasizes there's an incongruity here of the situation. There's an inconsistency and there's an impossibility because they were never believers and members of Christ Jesus. Now when we look further, this whole idea of the high priest called Sceva, we don't find in the list any high priest named Sceva. But we understand that there were members of the Jewish priestly uh, aristocracy that had different high priests that they were given honor to. And this particular priest could be from that line. But his sons were far from being Christians, far from being converts, and far from having the privilege of calling on the name of Jesus for any safety or any power. They were physically and spiritually caught up in some magical worldview. The magical worldview that was incredibly prevalent in Ephesus. Ephesus was very hospitable to magicians, sorcerers, and many forms of religious, religious synchronism. But do we recognize that God is very inhospitable to any forms of, magic, of magic, of sorcery, or religious synchronism? He says there's only one way, one truth, and one life. God was inhospitable to those things then, and he's inhospitable to those things now. But once again, we see in the book of Acts a scenario that will pit miracles against ministry. Now, this is the first time that we've dealt with demonic spirits since back in Acts 
16, 16 through 18. You remember that, don't you? As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So Paul, so she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed at this, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So we see here that even though this particular woman caught up in the spirit of divination is given positive feedback about the missionaries saying that they are servants of the most high God. And we see the contrast here that the sons of Sceva are trying to give really, they have a great detachment when they say in the name of Jesus who Paul proclaims. But God does not accept acknowledgement or honor from those who are not believers. And he does not respond to them when they call upon him. But we see that when we call on the name of Jesus, it brings rebuke to the unsaved. Now we're going to enter into this specific event as we see these seven sons enter the house and they attempt to exercise one single spirit. Keep that in mind. This is one spirit from a possessed man, even though they don't possess Christ. And things go very badly for them. Look at what the text says in 15 through 16. Because even though they don't know Jesus, isn't it amazing that the the evil spirit knows them? But But even the evil spirit recognizes they did not know Jesus. Look what it says here. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, plural, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So it's one against seven, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, if you look at the New Testament throughout Holy Scriptures, you will see that demons and evil spirits always recognize Christ immediately. Look at Matthew 8, 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of Galerines, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, or they come out of the graveyard, right? So fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, this is the evil spirits responding to Jesus, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Now a herd of pigs were feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begging him, saying, If you cast us out, they already recognize that Jesus is there and they're in trouble. They're in peril, right? If you cast us out, send us 
away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now I want you to see the reaction to a true work of God. The herdsmen fled and going into the city told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Now, they're not celebrating that he was delivered. Okay? Look at 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw, saw him, they said, my Lord and my God. No, they said they begged him to leave their region. Truth will either draw you or drive you away. A true act of God will bring you closer to God or push you further and further away. Now we see on this occasion, evil uh, evil spirits speaking through the possessed man reveal the pretense of these so-called exorcists. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? The forces of evil knew the difference between one who truly ministered in the name of Jesus and those who were pretenders. Do you know that Satan understands whether you are a pretender or you are a precious possession of God? And he deals with you accordingly. If he knows you're a pretender, he don't have to bring much stress in your life because you're playing already and you're going to play your way right into hell. Look at Luke 4, 31 through 37. And when he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out in a loud voice, here we go again, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Do you see the... the, the I don't want to, I guess casualness is not the word I'm looking for, but it just seems like he does it effortlessly. You know, it doesn't take any effort, he just says, come out of And this guy, this evil spirit is spouting out, and he just says, come out of him, be silent. And when the demon had thrown himself down in their midst, he came out of him, having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? See, if you really would accept the word of God as what it is, the word of God, a word that never comes back void, will it not be more efficacious in your life? If you recognize it for what it is and applied it properly, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. I sincerely believe that demons know whether we know Christ when they meet us as well. 
These unsaved people found that this evil spirit was not easily overcome. Why, Pastor? Because evil spirits are stronger than unsaved spirits that have no strength because they have an unsaved soul because there's no unity in Christ. It was a unity of Christ and the authority of Christ that gave Paul as a representative of Jesus the power to exercise and control demons. If he had uttered the command to come out in the name of Jesus, those demons would have come out. Now, I'm not saying that you can go out tomorrow and start calling out demons because you belong to Christ. I'm clearly saying that Paul was serving Christ in a special capacity and God fulfilled and gave him the function of that purpose. You'll end up being like these guys who got jumped on here. But then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on and out overpowered the sons of Sceva. The language here is really interesting. He mastered them all. He overpowered them. Now we see a warning in Luke that Jesus gives about such a setting. Look at Luke eleven twenty one through 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are saved. But when one stronger than him attacks him, And overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So our trust should be in Christ and not in our armor, right? Unless we're putting on the full armor of the Lord, right? And we see here that these seven sons failed to mobilize the power of Jesus because they lacked the authority to invoke his name because they did not belong to him. The impotence of these imposters was revealed, and they were publicly humiliated, they were hindered, and they were humbled. These men were frauds, and when the fight really began, their fragility was found out. They could not stand in the battle because the battle in every situation for us as Christians, the battle belongs to the Lord. And these demon-possessed men gave them such a beating that the text says they ran out the house naked and bleeding or wounded. Satan will run over imposters who think that they can imply that they possess some power from which they are devoid and deficient. Contrast this with how Jesus transforms the situation in another part of Luke. Look at Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had lived, he had not lived in the house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked him, look at this now. 
picking up on the fact that we're talking about one single demon in our passage today. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And he begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and he begged him to let them enter these. So he gave permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and found a man, listen, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Now look at this. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus said to him, away, saying, return to your home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus took him from being a warring demon to being a witness. This man is delivered from many demons, living in a state of nakedness, living in a graveyard. But here we see in Acts 19, these seven sons are vanquished by one single demon and sent away naked and wounded. So did... We see what kind of impact that had in Luke among the other people who came out and saw him because they wanted Jesus to leave. But what kind of impact does it have in our passage in chapter 19? Look at verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was extolled. You see, the impact was so great that Jews and Greeks, that means everybody, that lived in Ephesus, heard about it, they were all seized with fear, and they started to hold the name of Jesus in high honor. The fear was so widespread that people started to treat the name of Jesus with the respect that it required. But here in this same text, we see this incident as magnifying and glorifying Jesus itself because instead of asking Jesus to leave what did they do they left their sinful ways and practices and repented and instead of calling on soothsayers more and more people start calling on the name of the Lord for salvation these disgraceful dishonorable uh, defeat of these Jewish Sons by the demons shows that the power of Jesus cannot be controlled. Christ is not our flunky that anyone can just call on his name. When we call on the name of Jesus, it brings repentance. 
Now we see here has been a remarkable humiliation for these seven sons. But it leads to a far greater and more amazing event. It led to repentance. Look at verses 18 and 19. Also many of those, please, also many of those were now believers, who were now believers, came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So these are people who now believed in the name of Jesus. And because of that, they came and they openly confessed and divulged the practices that they were involved in with no prompting outside of the eternal prompting of the Holy Spirit. They confessed the devilish things they had done, the devilish deeds that they had participated in, even the devilish thoughts that had dominated their mind. That here is a public expression of repentance on the part of those who believe a number of them that had been practicing magic and sorcery. They brought their scrolls and their incantations. They brought them publicly and they burned them. You know, perhaps they were keeping these scrolls and incantations which were written spells like an insurance policy in case their new faith didn't work out. But now they find that there's no greater policy of surety than the salvation that they find in Christ Jesus. So they burn their scrolls as a way of repudiating and repenting of the sins that they had committed. Now through this act, they're representing a greater trust in Christ and trusting him to deliver them from all trouble and to supply their needs. But what amazes me is the investment they had made in magic and in the dark arts. When they came together and they burned it, the value of it was 50,000 pieces of silver. If today we repented of all the things that we invest in outside of investing in this church or in Jesus Christ, what would, would the value exceed what we do for Christ when only what you do for Christ will last? Does this not make you think of every dime and everything I spend? Am I, is it purpose more for the movement of Christ or for my own pleasure or for my own idea of self-sufficiency or self-protection? How could you have this much invested in nonsense? I think Luke lifts this up to show that he, again, he's done it several times. He has a problem with the money-making side of magic and that he recognizes that it's a clear rejection of a Christian point of view. 
But now these people recognize that their genuine discipleship allowed them to let go of what they treasured in order to gain the treasure of God's kingdom. Look at Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So they come and they burn their scrolls and their devilish pronouncements. And they're depicting here the defeat of the magicians and they're calling on the name of the Lord that in the name of Jesus, the faithful shall triumph over the forces of darkness, that in the name of Jesus, we as Christians need not fear the devil, that in the name of Jesus, Satan has no power over us, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. All we need is to truly call on the name of Jesus. Luke lifts up to us again a precursor to what we see that is going to happen in the next verse, in verse 20. In Acts 6 and 7, he says these words, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 12 and 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. I think we see a linchpin that a lot of things turn on in this particular passage. And I think it's when it says, with might. Because it shows that it expresses that the force of the gospel brought these people to repentance. The church grew more and more because people believed in the gospel. The church grew because of the example of the power of the gospel to transform lives associated and illustrated with the healing of those lives, the exorcism of evil spirits, the rejection of false religion and magic. And then we see Paul showing us that in the end, truth will always triumph over the tyranny of false teaching and the formation of false thinking and the furtherance of false trust. You see, all that builds upon itself. False teaching will, give, will build a formation of false thinking and false thinking will further your false trust. So what's in a name, Pastor? We recognize that the name of Jesus holds significance. And we remember that most of the biblical names written in the Bible were based off of the character or the appearance of the person. Esau, Harry, Korah, Baal, Leah, exhausted. 
but we recognize that prophetically in Matthew 1, 20 through 23, we hear these words. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking to Joseph here, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. You know, earlier, the praise team shared a song with us that, and I give incredible credit to Joni and getting this together in just one day almost. Because I called her, I had heard it in uh, Birmingham this week, and when I heard it, they did it twice in worship at the uh, convention. Something broke in me, and I was like, "Oh my!" Just the thought of how, even as in the pastor, we can undervalue the privilege of calling on the name of Jesus. We can undervalue the power of calling on the name of Jesus. We can undervalue the efficacious rule of Christ in all of our efforts when we don't call on him to supply our needs through his riches and glory. So I want to close in prayer, and I want them to sing that again, and I want you to participate with them now as if you understand it better. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just overwhelmed by your goodness to us, by your gift that keeps giving. Yes, Lord. This is Father's Day, but we celebrate your fatherhood over us. And in the reverse, as it always is, you gave us a gift, and that gift is Jesus. Thank you. And we thank you for that, because that is the example That is a pattern that we want to build our life upon. So, Lord, let us recognize the incredible privilege, the purpose, and the power in calling on your name. It's in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all in all God's children. Say amen. Amen. Amen.